0: Count me in. Count me in, bitch. <laughs> so, today you made one of the most elite food combinations Thank for our you. dinner mm. lemon and pepper. And parmesan. And parmesan. But we we're doing duos, I thought. Oh. Yeah, like pairings. The okay. elite food pairings, my apologies. Sure, politics. sure, sure, sure. So, lemon and pepper. Mm-hmm. Or lemon and parm. Or parm and pepper. Catch you pepe, anyone. Um anyways it was elite as i said but what is the most elite food pairing i mean i've been thinking about this since we first talked about it and i think that literally might be it for me really and, it, and it's not a duo it's the tri- it's the triad mm. it's like a lemon or a lime actually mm-hmm. okay okay but like a lemon and a pecorino and a black pepper mm. that is pretty ideal it's elite it is elite. I immediately went to the sweet side of things because I couldn't help but think. Take that off your hand. I've just been chastised rather aggressively, and that's the elite combination of this podcast, Emily and Marika. Um, anyways, I think it's peanut butter and jelly. Mm. Because and I know that this is silly, because how many times do you actually eat a peanut butter and jelly sandwich in your life? I ate one like every single day from all of you second did. year. You did. Um but I was thinking about it, and I was like, that's pretty legit. It's got all the things you need. I mean, it's it's sweet and salty. That's, it's a classic for a reason. Yeah. I think that's it. I just love sweet and salty. See, and I would have always said that about myself, but I found myself over the holiday season mm-hmm. being confronted, as I would like to say, with the sweet and salty um, popcorn mixes that are out. Oh, Yes. I don't care for them. Well, which ones did you get? I don't want a sweet popcorn. Okay, well, that's I think a problem. I saw a video the other day of somebody making caramel corn from scratch, and I was like, oh fuck me, that looks good. Like I've had like a true like a kettle corn, which is like the origin. Yeah, the er sweet and salty. I've said that every time this podcast. Now I like in, like the last three weeks. So I need yeah. to. And that's like okay for maybe a handful. I just love a sweet popcorn. No. Hmm. We'll agree to disagree. Yeah, that's fine. And I'm clearly on the salty kick today, too, because I did oversalt all my food today. <laughs> you did put salt on our very salty risotto. I'm sorry. I was feeling it. I'm not offended by it. One would think that I'm a smoker the way that I used salt today. Is that true? Do smokers oversalt? I feel like that's a thing, isn't it? It's a thing now that I've said it. <laughs> hmm well all right we're not uh, talking about food pairings we're not today. talking about food pairings although if you do have them please feel free to send us a message on instagram at pantrystablespod.com no it's, that's not true pantrystablespod <laughs> and instagram. instagram um yes here on pantry staples <laughs> the podcast where we dish on your favorite foods oh my god i'm sorry i forgot my like what oh. i was doing there <laughs> it's fine um i'm marika and i'm emily and i clearly don't know what's going on today or any day really it's fine you know it's been christmas this is the last episode of this season oh that's right yeah on restaurant related menu it's not a secret menu you always say it i know and it's catchy but it doesn't make sense no it doesn't but i'm going with it (laughs) secrets of the menu sure secrets of the menu does make sense it makes more sense i stand by it it's fine so yeah so this is the grand finale of the season so i'm gonna break out the pyrotechnics oh <laughs> that was terrible i loved it i know thank you it's literally in my notes i'm writing like <laughs> full cheeseball scripts that's where we're at uh it's going well but yes flambe we're talking about flambe gonna light this podcast up I'm gonna light on fire this girl podcast is on, on fire, fire. Leisha Terrible. Keys sponsor us. Oh my goodness, rip. Um. So yes, flambe comes from the French word for flamed, which is perhaps obvious. You doy. I guess. I mean, that's one of those French words where it's like, it does sound exactly ish. Yeah, but sometimes they don't, and it's... I always forget that people don't speak French. <laughs> don't do that. Maybe the most incredible thing you've ever said. So, yes, at its most basic, flambéing is a cooking procedure where alcohol is added to a hot pan and lit on fire. We've been there. We've done that. It's delightful. Yeah. And so it can be just like that basic process can be a fairly simple step in many different cuisines as a way to cook off the alcohol part of, say, a cognac or rum or even any like sort a, of flavoring yeah even like a cooking cherry kind of a thing mm-hmm. um and leave the flavory parts um to accent the sauce or whatever you're cooking but it is most associated with showy table side service at only the fanciest of restaurants ye fancy restaurants um and so that's obviously the part that we're going to talk about today because that's the fun part you doy no one wants to hear about a sauce that's just, like, being made in the quiet of a kitchen that no one ever sees. Yeah, where it's just, like, it's just a casual, a like, yeah, I'm just reducing this liquid. It's fine. <laughs> it's chill. Don't worry about it. Um, It's actually the opposite of chill when you do it in front of the guests. Is, then it's a fire. It's lit. <laughs> lit. Get up. Oh, there's so many puns. Um, Shockingly, or not at all shockingly. The origins of flambé cooking were very non-existent on the internet. Hmm. It was one of those classic, like, very similar to with my shrimp scampi mm. um, research, where I kept running into like the same, very blatant, like, copy and paste mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. of like the most. Oh, like this this writing is I love it already. nails on a chalkboard. So I'm gonna have to please. It's we all need to experience. Okay, quote. Well, the art of the flambe is supposed to have originated in the 14th century around the Moors. Around the Moors. Thank you. Okay. It gained prominence only by the late 19th century. Another variation to its origins is believed to have been more sudden. I can't even. I don't know what that means. No, of course not. It is told that... Henri Carpentier, a waiter accidentally set fire to a pan of crepes being prepared for Edward the, oh, Roman numerals, seventh. Nice. The future king of United Kingdom. There is no article and I directly copy and pasted this. Thank you. That's excellent. Though this theory has not been proved, it seems the safest assumption of the start of Flambe <laughs> in recent times. First of all, I don't want any safe assumptions when there's fire around. I want dangerous assumptions. Also, like, I'm sorry, the word of, and we'll get to this later, Henri Carpentier was 14 when this account was supposed to have taken place. <laughs> so the word of a 14-year-old waiter. <laughs> well, child waiter s- was, that was probably, like, close to the end of his life. Not I'm teasing, <laughs> obviously not, but, like... You know, he'd been in the game for at least 10 years. <laughs> this is in the 14th century. The 19th century. This is, like, not. Mm, there's no way of knowing. Oh when did goodness. they start working children? I mean, the 19th century. But anyway, mm-hmm. the safest assumption as, like, that's not. It is not the safest assumption. assumption. <laughs> yep. Anyway, um, so that was taken directly from the website of Capriccio. Capriccio restaurant Capriccio. In, from Providence, Rhode Island. Mm. And is a classic example of trash food history writing. I love. We stand. It's incredible. Um, which I mean we as trash humans <laughs> with a medium trashy food podcast. Yeah. We have the God authority. bless our medium trash. God bless. Um <laughs> but I do highly recommend Googling Capriccios. The photos of like the cheese ball waiters. Ugh. It's like exactly what you hope from uh like they they they're they're, they're, mustachioed. Oh, yes. they're all in um like like actually what is I think the best kind of a tableside service waiter look which is like the bow tie and like a proper like a tux. Oh, a tux. Like a full tuxedo. Ugh, yes. It looks great. And actually the food kind of was like that doesn't even look that bad. I love Servers that get dressed up. Yes! It's sorely lacking. I know. If I see one more <laughs> dirty little hipster wearing a plaid shirt and one of those like butcher block aprons with Ugh. like too many pockets for like, what are they putting in? What like? are you putting in those pockets? Like seven corkscrews? You don't need that many corkscrews. I successfully do my job with zero. Same. <laughs> and I open wine. I do. I'm just a real pain in the ass every time going, can I use your corkscrew? terrible your girl Um, can't help it your girl can't help it anyway so wikipedia who we trust much more than a rhode island restaurant cites a different 19th century origin of flambe's popularity Mm. and that is appropriately ish enough uh figgy christmas pudding oh as mentioned in dickens christmas carol from 1843. Interesting. Okay. We have, quote, the pudding blazing in half of half a quarter of ignited brandy. Ooh. Which, I mean, makes sense. It's absolutely like a showstopper end to a Christmas yeah, dinner. totally. Um, have you had a Christmas pudding, like, doused in brandy and lit on no. fire like that? I want that. It's actually very good. Like, do you like a Christmas, like the Christmas cake or like... Yeah, yeah, totally. Mm. Oh my God, I'm sure I've told you about this before, but every single year when my mom and I go to Circle Craft, shout out to Elsie, hello, I know you're not listening. um, There's like the food sample tables where you can Mm. like buy all the like the weird pates and the nuts and the this, that, and the other. And they weren't there this year and I was sorely sad about it, but there's one that makes a fruit cake every single year and it's covered in like a warm butter sauce. Yeah. Oh my god, it's incredible. Okay, so the the Christmas pudding that I've had is like that, and I think it's pretty close-ish to like what they would have had then. Mm-hmm. And it's like you make it like almost like two months before. Yeah, because it has to like. Suck. And it's like it's like they come out like so shiny and like in the shape of whatever bowl or whatever you had mm-hmm. them in. Because then you're like pouring like half a cup of yeah, like brandy. Or, like, any kind of, like, liqueur over them, like, for the month until Christmas. Mm. And then you make, like, a, yeah, like, a brandy cream, like, butter sauce Mm. to pour over it at the very end. But to bring it to the table, you, like, cover it in liqueur and light it on fire. And it, like, sends rings of, like, blue flames. That very sounds exciting. incredible. I know. I have a video somewhere in, like, the depths of my phone, but it's very fun. Oh, my God. I love that. Yeah. I feel like the only time I've ever actually, like, outside of a restaurant had, like, a flaming dessert is making uh, cherries Jubilee mm. here in my home, mm. which, thankfully, was, like, a pretty tame. <laughs> it was good, but, like, nothing was injured in the making of. Yeah. 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 As, like, a household cooking. Yeah. Experiment. Yeah, it was delicious, but, like, I was very drunk. I shouldn't have been making it. should have been lighting things on fire. No, I could have caught. Yeah. Mm. Anywho, that sounds great. I would love one of those. Yes. Um, So another popular 19th century recipe to ignite
1: an interest (laughs) in flambéing was
0: the omelette au rum from Alexis Sawyer's 1846 cookbook, The Gastronomic Regenerator. Oh, Oh, do tell. It's a terrible title. Um, Yeah, it's basically a sweet omelet dosed in rum or kirsch or both um, and set alight tableside. What does a sweet omelet entail? See, I spent a very long time being very concerned about that fact. And then I was like, oh, I think it's like a crepe. Oh, yeah, that makes more sense. Yeah. Yeah. So, and then we go from there. It's like a short jump to uh, crepe Suzette, which is the dish that... 14-year-old freaking Henri Carpentier was supposedly was, making was meant to have invented the whole. I'm not even going into the story because I'm so annoyed by it. That's fair. <laughs> yeah. just We exclude all history we do not necessarily enjoy. Yeah, and also just like, I don't know. I'm just I'm tired of we've done a whole series on dudes making up things to make themselves more famous and that kind of is the like subtitle of this series. I know. And that's not necessarily going to (laughs) stop. No. But I'm just like, ugh, like, whatever. Grapes that are fine. Like, go ahead. They're delightful, but whatever. Yeah. So are many other things. Would you like to indulge in science corner? I would. This didn't get as sciencey as I'd like hoped when I originally pulled the article, but it's still like I don't know. Uh, many cooks and cookbook authors claim that flambeing results in combustion, and thus rapid loss of ethanol, mm-hmm. aka the, the alcoholic alcohol part of a liquor or spirit. It is also said that a flambe flame can exceed five hundred de- degrees Fahrenheit and produce rapid caramelization and browning really well no i was gonna say that seems pretty fucking hot but i think like so the article that i was reading for this there were like the only reason to light something on fire is because like it looks fun okay i mean Um, it makes sense and they were like there's like a lot of People out there are like, no, like, you have to do it. Like, that's what imparts the flavor. And, like, mm. you need to light it on fire to reduce the alcohol parts. And otherwise, you're just blah, 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 blah. So they're like, okay, is that true? So they sought to um, to test whether the effects of the flambe flame um, had more to do with heat or, like, the fire itself mm-hmm. So the heat being like, if you didn't light it on fire and you just but like, you just cooked it for a really let long it simmer, time. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Um, and basically, they found that lighting booze on fire doesn't reduce as much ethanol as if you just like simmer it. Hmm, of course, of course, um, and that you can't brown or caramelize foods simply by igniting them. You do. I mean, uh, I mean, certain foods like obviously, like if you light a marshmallow on fire, it's going to caramelize. Yeah, and like certain things, but. But it's not, like, that's not the technique. No. Yeah. Um, no. So, yeah. It's... Um, Fake news. It's it's not, like, the... Like, they went into all of this stuff about how it's like, if people don't want to have alcohol in their diets, or, like, blah, blah, blah. And it's just like, okay. Like, yes. hmm And mm-hmm. fair enough. <laughs> but also, like, yes. It's, it's for the show. Yeah, of course. And speaking of, let's talk tableside. Yeah. Okay. I read... Mm-hmm. An incredible article from the Essentials of Tableside Cookery. Oh, a 1978 book by Joseph F. Du Rocher and Ooh. Raymond J. Goodman Jr., you which was in- Ferrero Rocher together. I hope so. Good. Continue. Um, it was excerpted in the Cornell uh, University Hotel and Restaurant Administration Quarterly. Oh, what an incredible publication name. I know. It's like, I think they actually say HRA quarterly, which is like more mm. cool, but for the purposes of the podcast. Yeah. Quote, because tableside cookery is so time consuming, only the finest restaurants enjoying high check averages and low turnover rates have utilized this form of service. They're not yeah, wrong. Yeah, they're not wrong. Everything about that. I just like keep in the back of your mind. 1978. Everyone who's talking about this has like a weird, like long curly perm and like ridiculous mustache. Yeah, of course. Okay. The th- thickest of stashes. Oh my goodness. Like the stash is like a second. It's person. a second face, yes. Yeah. yes. <clears throat> Quote. In addition to slowing down service, elaborate table side presentations have another serious drawback. The time required for training <laughs> dining room personnel in the numerous techniques that are part of the ritual. Thus, one author has suggested, It is advisable that every waiter who wishes to become an artist in this fairly new field should spend at least a year in the kitchen of first-class hotels or restaurants. Oh my god. And their book is meant to solve this problem. Ah, oh, an interesting sales pitch there. Yes, yes, So you could do a year in the kitchen or buy this book Read this for twenty five ninety nine. Basically, it's a pamphlet. Oh, okay. um, And they tested it on Cornell. Like, this, what I'm reading, like, is from the, the yeah, like, the Cornell University. Mm-hmm. And it's, like, basically, like, their paper being, like, we did these, stu- like, they tested it on Cornell students with, quote, no previous exposure to the rudimentary forms of service. Hmm. And so, like, this this is how to do it. This is the techniques. And actually, they've got a lot of charts and checklists, which I was like, ooh. That's very fun. It was like how to prepare your cart. Like, make sure that everything's in it. Like, Aww. check, check, check. And they're like, you have to have, like, standardized recipes because, you know, that's how you eliminate People just making shit up, and, and also like you want consistency when you go anywhere. Yes, and were t- there were there's like a whole bunch where they're talking about where it's like it's not consistent. Like you need to one of these quotes: a dining room staff whose only training in tableside cookery has been provided by management is less inclined to interpret recipes according to individual whims. Oh, <laughs> yeah, interesting. And they talk money too. Okay, quote. The total investment for the equipment necessary for tableside cookery is less than might be anticipated. For example, a 100-seat restaurant could invest $1,000 to $1,500 in equipment, offer two items to be prepared before the guest, and provide tableside exposure to upwards of 60 patrons over a two-hour meal period. This has been accomplished in actual operation with the service staff of relatively inexperienced students. I need to know what restaurant... like did they set up a <laughs> fake restaurant to test this? I like that's all I can think is that they like created a fake restaurant for this. I don't know. I don't know. Hmm. Um Inquiring but, minds need to know. Inquiring minds I know, we'll find it. Um the true pièce de resistance mm. was the little like there's like a little fact mm. box. Oh, good! Because it's like a textbook, basically. Yep. Um, at the end, talking about quote food service employment, the figures and spoiler alert: women account for seventy percent of the total food service labor force and make up thirty-five percent of managerial positions. Mm. <laughs> that seems like a high figure, actually, and, like, considering what I'm seeing. <laughs> And then they go and they're like, yeah, this is literally like they're bragging about it because the 1976 national percentage of women in management positions across all industries in the U.S. Mm-hmm. was only 20%. <laughs> Fuck. So it's like almost double. That's crazy. But of course, are women mentioned anywhere else throughout this article? No. No. It's the always the service captain setting his cart. Mm-hmm. He is coordinating the timing of regular plated dishes with the kitchen. Uh, of course he is. And of course, it's the mustachioed dude with the bow tie pouring brown sauce over the brown veal marsala in all of the pictures of this book. Ugh, brown sauce on brown. What a ugh, no. But then again, Did I go on eBay and buy this book for $12 for your birthday? Did you really? Hell yeah, I did. Oh, I'm so excited. You said you didn't want anything for your birthday. I don't want anything. And I wasn't going to get you anything. And then I found this. Wow, I'm deeply angry at you. And mostly so because I've been trying to find the Oscar of the Waldorf book for you for like literally months. I'm in a lot of chat rooms. Oh my goodness. Incredible. It's very hard to find. This is so exciting. You're not going to get it. It's fine, but I'm in the chat room. I appreciate that we're both simultaneously buying ourselves weird <laughs> books like this. Yes, thank you. It is obviously the plan. Yours is already shipped. Oh my god, that's incredible! I, know. I bought it last night. Wow, that's yeah. very quick. I hope it's not like a weird scam. It looks literally like a pamphlet. Like I'm so excited! I can't wait. <sighs> oh my god, I'm freaking out right now. Yeah, um, I'm gonna examine uh, the crap out of this. I'm so excited. Ugh. Okay, so. Let's talk about some of the dishes Mm -hmm. that these Cornell students may or may not have been preparing in real kitchens. (laughs) I don't believe that they were real. I don't know. This is a simulation. Maybe. I was going to say that like I was reading his stuff and I was like, huh. Or their things. but I was like, hmm. Hmm. They're not wrong. All right. They were literally getting their PhD in table science. (laughs) That's really funny. I mean, no, they were getting their PhD in, like, hotel managerial studies, but... No, it's the PhD in tableside service. That's what it is. Yeah. Have I... You know, when you can, like, get a doctorate, even though you didn't go to the school. Yes. Have we earned our doctorates in tableside yet? I feel like you have, probably. Yeah, I fucking hope so, babe. (laughs) (laughs) That's, That's why you get this book. Jesus. I'm not a server. I shouldn't be making this many salads. I'm tired. We all know well we all know i like singed my fake eyelashes off tragic. making bananas foster that one time tragic okay i did not singe them off i just like melted the tips a little but like bit. that's kind of almost worse i think i, I think mean you they weren't were. blinded but like well they were on their way out anyway but mm-hmm. it was um fair it was uh, dark times um okay but yes let's talk mm-hmm. flambeed table side dishes yes and let's start savory with okay. steak diane yep she done it steak diane mm-hmm. itself unsurprisingly i guess has murky origins of course probably in london around the 1930s makes sense probably uh, invented by bartolomeo calderoni okay the head of quagliano's restaurant in all Mayfair. of these things are fake <laughs> i was like what are these words? good try um uh, he apparently cooked it for the then prince of wales so i don't know is that like the dead Philip? Philip? Is oh, it Philip? I can't fucking remember. The 30s? No one knows. No, probably someone else. Anyway, doesn't matter. Hmm. We don't know. Probably fake. Um, Diane, mm-hmm. as like a style of cooking, um, and more specifically, sauce a la Diane, mm-hmm. has older origins mm-hmm. relating to classic mythology. I know! Diana, <laughs> goddess of the hunt. Which means it's foresty elements like mushrooms and venison Mm -hmm. and we could call it artemis but this is a pro-roman podcast it is thank you you're welcome um yeah so starting in the mid-19th century like anything that has like gamey elements yeah yeah it's a diane that is very fun it's very fun so it makes sense that then it's like because these earlier recipes were like quite similar to what we know as Steak Diane now. Mm -hmm. It's like a roux with pan drippings, like maybe some brandy cream, Mm -hmm. pepper, mushrooms, whatever. Um, But the Steak Diane, as like a flambé Mm -hmm. situation, um, it's more like from New York in the 50s. That makes sense. And that's kind of like, we're like, when we're really at the golden age of flambé. Kind of seems like it'd be New York in the 50s. It's like the 50s, 60s, also New Orleans, and we'll get there. Oh, yes, of course. And it's just like... What, what's a fancy way to make uh, a shitty cut of meat look nice and overcooked? <laughs> and this is the thing, too, is that, like, all of Tableside is really just about dressing something that's, like, quite simple up and making it, like, a bit of a showpiece. I mean, but, I mean, it has to be simple because you have to do it in, like, massive quant- Like, you can't make, like, an incredibly elaborate meal at the table. No, and you have to be able to do it in five minutes and coordinate it with everything else mm-hmm. coming out of the kitchen. Mm-hmm. And you can't, like, light your guests on fire. Not today. (laughs) But God willing, soon we'll be able to. Um, Yes. Oh, and one of the most um, famous proto-sauce Diane. So this is, Mm. like, as we're transitioning from, like, where things are just... diane Diane and then we're like, getting like a sauce Diane which then became a steak Diane uh, it's obviously coming from the father of modern-ish uh, French cooking Auguste Escoffier mm-hmm. his Diane sauce had hard cooked egg white Ew. as a thickener it's horrifying I don't understand how that works. I don't either because it's like it's already cooked it's like yep it's Like, mm, hmm. Interesting. Does it like uncook? Like, does it melt in a sauce? Like, I don't know. I don't feel like eggs go that way. I feel like I you go one direction with eggs. I think so too. Huh. I don't know. Or maybe they're just like, it's chunky. That makes it thicker. They're like delicious. I love a <laughs> chunky sauce. <laughs> An egg chunk. Oh, that's horrible. horrible. Okay, but how about another classic attributed to Escoffier? Mm-hmm. Do you have guesses? Chateaubriand. No, I'm not even talking. I'm done with the savory okay oh mm, no i don't know Cherry jubilee oh delicious of course is yes. a delightfully simple dessert made from cherries uh and liqueur usually kirsch or another brandy mm. that is flambéed tableside and served over vanilla ice cream delicious escoffier supposedly came up with the dish for queen victoria's diamond jubilee in 1897 feels like a lie um i mean i guess but also like it it also makes perfect sense like yeah i suppose i just don't want to believe any of these people did any of this <laughs> i don't know we i think we can give that one to old Escofier. augs augie a little scoffer then augie scoffersons <laughs> all right how about a similar dish but with lebanon oui, le banana foster. tell me more Okay, so it's the turn of the century, turn of the twentieth century. Oh, we're skipping a whole. My goodness. Yes, uh, it's New Orleans. Mm-hmm. New is Orleans, the... baby. Sorry. <laughs> is okay. the hub for most large fruit companies in the U.S. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, because it's like a big port. It's like right kind of by the yeah Caribbean. Sense. So especially for bananas, it makes sense. I always forget that New Orleans is on the eastern side of the country you were saying it's west i have no idea where it is i didn't think it was a port town mm. i mean i don't know if it's like it's like a river it's port via a river like it's oh, a very tricky one but yeah it i'm was, gonna look it up on a map really quickly oh, i just need no. to see yeah fair enough sorry I you know bananas know. were big business in new orleans in like 1900 i bet they friggin' were bananas are still big business unfortunately Bananas, according to all of the things oh you know, like- shit that's not where i pictured it at all is it like right at the it's like next to florida basically yeah yeah I knew yeah that. you have like the florida florida little like peninsula Pen- there and then you go over to the west a little bit mm-hmm. but it's like in that yeah little thing there oh that's interesting and then texas is right next to it hey yeah mm. did not anticipate that geography man oh man did you know texas is a border town Is that a bit? Cut this out right now. (sighs) So, yes. Bananas. Mm -hmm. New Orleans. No Orleans. BFFs. Yeah, they love each other. It makes sense that Brennan's, a legendary, a terrible name for a restaurant, by the way. Truly. But anyway, it's a legendary Bourbon Street restaurant. Mm -hmm. Uh, They had to come up with an exciting looking dessert to use up the bunches of yellow. Brown. Uh, In 1951 really that's yeah. quite late i know um, ella brennan manager and chef at brennan's was tasked with making a dessert in honor of new orleans crime commission chairman richard foster oh oh baby as the story goes the restaurant just happened to have bunches and bunches of bananas lying around so she sauteed them up Uh, With sugar, butter, cinnamon, uh, kind of being inspired by a caramelized banana breakfast that her mom used to make. That's cute. Uh, She then decided that they should flame it like Antoine's, a.k.a. uh, light it up tableside, the way that another New Orleans institution made their baked Alaska more of a showstopper. Ugh, bitches love a baked Alaska. It's me on bitches. I've never had one, and I honestly don't care to. It's I just don't like meringue. You and your issues with eggs, honestly, are the greatest issue that I've ever encountered with you. I understand. I love a baked Alaska. I love a pavlova. I love a eaten mess. Meringue? Slaps. Okay, pavlova neat and mess, I understand.
1: Because it's, it's the more it's,
0: firm meringue? I want, like, a crunchy meringue? Fine. It's, like, the soft oh, I on love soft. It. No. It's so good. It's like having marshmallows almost on top. Anyways, you don't need to love it, but you just need to acknowledge that I love it. I acknowledge. Thank you. Okay. Why? Why the hell were there so many bananas at Brandon's? Can't even say it. Could it be because one of Ella's brothers ran a produce business with a surplus of bananas? (laughs) And... And could he have had such a surplus because his wife's family had ties to the standard fruit company with huge banana plantations in Honduras and Cuba? It's so dark when you actually get into it, isn't it? Um, yeah. The history of American business involvement in, like, the banana trade is nuts i mean i'm sorry but throwback to the avocado episode like any of these things coming from like tropical countries you're always just like oh, mm, it's not looking good is it yeah that's like now when we have like more eyes and like rules in theory this is like from the 1800s to like the 50s Ugh. wild west out there yeah or it's the, the reason, reason that we have the term banana republic what oh my god yeah there's too much new information coming at me today it's like i mean it's sort of a pun but it's also like it has to do with the the fact that like corporations like the Cuyamel fruit company mm-hmm. which was also based in new orleans um which was owned by samuel samuel Zamure okay. i don't know how, I don't, Zemure. Yeah. uh he was like a russian immigrant Uh, He famously helped restore General Manuel Bonilla to the Honduran presidency in 1912 solely to protect his own business interests in bananas. Oh my god, I do know about this. This is so fucked. Yeah! Yeah. And it, like, continues to be bad. Like, people are only now like, oh yeah, bananas. Questionable. And yet they're, like, such a wholesome-seeming food. According to the articles that I'm reading, America's favorite fruit... What? I don't know. Isn't it apples or oranges? I don't think so. Really? Uh, Should I Google this? Yeah, what's the most sold fruit in America? (sighs) Most. Bananas. Really? That's interesting. I would not have picked bananas. Well, because you hate bananas. Yeah, but I'm able to... I hate oranges too, but I thought they were the number one. That's true. And I feel like bananas are one of those things where it's like... People, it's a very universally like people don't like them. Like people are very vocal yeah. about not liking bananas. But it's also mm-hmm. like as they should. But think of all of the things where it's like banana smoothies, like banana, banana. Blah, 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 blah. Wow, I'm sorry, I didn't know that you wanted to trigger me so soon into this podcast. You know that I struggle with smoothie ordering because my hatred of banana and oranges makes it almost impossible. Yeah. Yep. I struggle every day, Marika, more than anyone in the entire universe has ever struggled. <laughs> Um, so yeah, anyways, banana foster, pretty good dish, in my opinion, needs nuts. Yep. Too much soft on soft texture. It's so true. That's why when I make mine, like, I really mm-hmm. don't, like, leave them in for very long. I try and get them out when they're crisp as hell. Yeah, you do want, like, you have to, like, caramelize, get a strong caramelization. And then get them out. And get them out. Throwback to the first time I made bananas foster when I burned it to shit. Nice. Yep. Yep. Ah, I like a burnt caramel. Anyway, Ellen and her family would probably not disagree. Uh, they're quoted in the NPR article that I was reading mm. as wondering, quote, why in the world do people make such a big deal out of that simple dessert? That's funny. I know, it's cute. Oh, I love that. Okay, do you want to talk briefly about flaming cocktails? Yes, of course. And also, side note, how rude that you haven't prepared a flaming cocktail for us today. <laughs> I don't think I have any of the necessary No, we don't want anything. We don't want... Yeah, so it's like late. We can't be no, having. It's not that. Uh, okay. Flaming cocktails, mm-hmm. very similar to flaming foods, mm-hmm. have an origin in the mid nineteenth century. Mm-hmm. I mean, at least according to what I can find on the internet, which is obviously Eurocentric. Mm-hmm. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah, uh, the blue blazer. Oh, what is this? Not a coat. <laughs> not the vest worn by. It. Oh, okay. Yeah, you know, uh, it was a very showy drink, popular from the eighteen fifties until around eighteen ninety. Mm -hmm. It called for a glass of whiskey to be mixed with boiling water and sugar, Mm -hmm. then lit on fire and poured back and forth between two mugs, the bright blue booze flames stretching longer and longer with each pour. Oh, that's so fun. Yes. We could make that. I don't think it tastes very good. Mm. Um, People at the time claimed that the flame was necessary to take the burn out of the cheap whiskey. I mean, that seems actually. Again, 1850s. Actually. Like,
1: um
0: wasn't, and I feel like this is just, like, a way that they phrase it that I'm probably misunderstanding, but wasn't whiskey, like, basically gasoline at that point? I mean, yes, but also, like, no, but yeah. Yeah, but, like, it was rough stuff. Yeah. And, like, and I'm sure that the people making a blue blazer mm-hmm. are, like... Not they're using not, the good shit. No, no. Um, yeah. So they were like, yeah, we gotta, like, take the burn out burn off the ethanol Mm. um but um by the 1900s it was super out of fashion and it was basically considered like a stunt drink kind of like a jaeger bomb today so it's like oh yeah only like the dumb teens do that that's really funny uh similar drink from a similar time is the cafe bruleau also popularized in new orleans it is a boozy coffee drink prepared or rather performed Okay, this is the the description from Wine Enthusiast. Brandy and orange liqueur are combined in a ladle, ignited and then sent on a fiery journey down a long spiraled orange peel studded with cloves into the silver-plated Brulot bowl below. Chicory coffee is poured over the top to douse the flames. Then sugar and spices are added. The finished drink is then doled out into teacups. That's cute. Yeah, it sounds very fun. It sounds very, like... Picturesque. Mm-hmm. Some claim that it was invented by Jean Lafitte, a pirate, mm. who would uh, dazzle spectators with the drink while his crew pickpocketed the onlookers. Not enough pirate stories in this podcast. Honestly, true. That's our fault, guys. Sorry about it. Um, there's also, like, I don't know, then we have flaming shots. We've got, you know, overproof liquor mm. dropped into beer or other, like, less flammable liquids. Mm. Uh, Tiki bowls, like those like big things where that's more like they'll kind of hollow out like a lime or like an orange Mm -hmm. shell and then put a sugar cube on fire in those, which is like, that's fun. It's pretty like not unsafe. Um, We also have like flaming sambuca or chartreuse. Chartreuse. Chartreuse Chartreusey. Chartreusey. I know. Which I guess like then you just kind of like dose with your hand and then drink. Like it's- i always assume that you have to put the fire to your mouth this is why i don't drink flaming cocktails i mean i don't think you shouldn't i don't think i'm equipped for it no <laughs> uh yeah so i don't know that's have you had a flaming no i don't think no i haven't had a flaming cocktail god i haven't lived hey I don't know. I feel like they're kind of out. The only thing, and this was also in the article, but I didn't really include it, is like now sort of more of the trend is like you just light the like orange rind. Yeah, I was actually going to mention that. I mean, like I've had that a million times. one time. That's mm-hmm. like the tamed kind of like, yeah, like it's... We've used fire in this. I love that though. I think it's very fun. Yeah. And apparently there are like some like fancy bars where they have like a iron poker where they'll like use that to like stamp their oranges or whatever like light the drinks like it's like yeah we're getting like singed oh that's fun but of course whether it does anything or is just like a fun, it's show, just a fun show it's like it's the blue blazer <laughs> it's the blue blazer of 2022 when 2023 I was... <gasps> oh, dear. when i was reading blue blazer it didn't sound as much like it was like a like blue blood I-, I was thinking like a like a work outfit. Mm. <laughs> like the bla can't wear a blue blazer to work <laughs> yes. today. Oh uh, the blue oh, blazer. you mean cups into cups of whiskey? Oh, the blue no, blazers, okay. that's the postal service back in the day. I wish that was what it was. That's fun. Yeah. What flaming cocktails have you had? I mean, not really anything. Mm-hmm. I feel like I have a very vivid recollection of my parents getting like a flaming sambuca at like a dinner party once mm-hmm. and me being like, that I'm looks free. But I don't care for Sambuca, so. No, it's bad. We're not bad, but not to my taste. No. Mm. But now I want flaming chartreuse. <laughs> do you? Yeah, I need to have it or else. I'm going to die. They won't do it. It's weird. Shocking that places don't want to, like, light themselves on fire. Weird. Yeah, we are still one of the last places in the city where you can potentially have a fire hazard grandfathered in, <laughs> grandfathered in. Um, I'm sure everybody's already heard this story but the time when this was like ages ago a million years and it was an old staff member who like spilled it was back before we used the canisters it mm. was like actual kerosene and it spilled and then they poured water on this fucking flames on the floor to put it out but it didn't put it out it turned it into a lake of fire mm-hmm. in the middle of the restaurant so it's going well Besides your eyelashes, I feel like we've both done really well with not having any instance. I'm sure I've told you about the time when a guest came in and was like, yeah, tried to make Cherry, or not Cherry's Julie, Banana Foster at home. $50,000 kitchen renovation later. Because they lit the thing on fire. I mean, I feel like that's, there are a couple of wines deep in that. Yeah. Yeah. But still, tragic. Um, And hilarious. So yeah, don't try this at home folks unless yeah, you're exactly a professional or unless you have the manual the pamphlet get the yes. pamphlet first uh yes once That's arrived maybe we'll start posting pictures onto the grams yeah we'll post a picture of me lighting my kitchen on fire you too can see <laughs> what that looks like That's i'll be probably, out on the street yeah eh. that'll be fine it's insurance fraud don't say it so loud. <laughs> yes so you can find that on our instagram which is pantry staples pod not.com not.com um -hmm. if you would like you can rate review and subscribe to us tell your friends tell your foes and that's the end of this season you guys we'll be back next season to discuss mold yeah it's gonna be moldy it's gonna be moldy you know the the thing about mold is if you can't see it it's not there exactly fake just kidding well we'll tell you we'll tell you how much of that bread that you can eat before it's a problem or how much of the cheese you can eat that's gone moldy before it's a problem we're gonna give you very loose guidelines because some of us are not (laughs) (laughs) we're not daredevils with our tummies or we are maybe we are maybe we're daringer than you who's to say all right well goodbye yeah we'll talk to you i don't know in like a month or six (laughs) who's to say Bye Bye